Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 49 of Oral Presentations. My closet collapsed. The Curse of the Omen. We are going to be doing the curse of the movie The Omen from 1976. I already did The Curse of the Exorcist earlier on. Uh, that one was like a, a more well-known Satan movie, so I went with the, that one back in the day. This one, I feel like a lot of people have seen The Omen, but I don't, I don't really know. It's from 76, so we're going to cover it. This one doesn't have, this curse doesn't have a huge body count, uh, but they're all, they're all exotic. They're all like final destination deaths pretty much. And then there's some other like 20 geese get killed at some point during this. So, I mean, it definitely counts as a curse, but my only, my only problem when I was doing this one is that I assumed that everybody knew the movie, The Exorcist when I did it, because it's a pretty popular horror movie. And I don't, I don't think people, I, I'm not sure if people have seen The Omen or not. So instead... Instead of describing the deaths that happened while filming certain scenes or how they related to certain scenes in the movie, I'm just going to run down the movie in a quick synopsis at the beginning of this episode. We're just going to run through the plot of The Omen, and then we're going to go through the, the, the shit that happened as far as the curse goes in The Omen. So just quick plot, blast through it, and then we'll start talking about... I mean, there's like some lightning action that goes on here. Shit blows up. They're all like exotic Final Destination deaths, but it's definitely not like, I mean, what was Mothman was like 46? Mothman's body count's impressive. King Tut, classic, 25 to 27. I think our final count on The Curse of the Omen, it depends how you want to count it. It was hard to get real numbers on this one. You could say eight, or you could add another two more for something that happened, but it didn't kill anybody in the crew, but it counts as an occurrence... During the curse of the omen, I don't know. We'll get into it. It's the final body counts either eight or ten, and a handful of geese. I mean, more than probably a handful, like twenty. I put it at twenty, honestly, at the final count here. But we'll get to all that. So we're gonna do a quick plot of the omen, then all the crazy shit that happened that made the curse, and then we'll have a final body count, and that'll be it for a Monday. You know. Also, the title of the episode: My closet collapsed. Really doesn't have anything to do with the curse of the omen, but in the course of doing the curse of the omen this week. Uh, it's just the middle of the night, the shelf in my closet. I just put too much shit on there. And I think pl plastic over time just weakens. And so like those shitty plastic brackets that were on that shelf in my closet just gave out. It was like 3 a.m. Uh, a couple nights ago. Just a, I woke up to a huge fucking boom and just an avalanche of shit on there. That scared the fuck out of me. So I don't know. You see, look, but you can't, you can't, I can't call that the curse of the omen. But that did happen same week. And then, like, there's owls outside right now hooting around when I walked in the house to come and record this. So I was like, you can hear that, like, <laughs> so, like, I don't, but again, that's like a lot of the stuff that happens in The Curse of the Omen. It's like, if you were looking for cursed shit, this counts. And actually, the director, who also is the same guy who did, like, Lethal Weapon, like, the, the, guy, the guy who directed The Omen went on to do, like, a ton of different movies and different genres, but he also did The Omen. And in an interview, he said that, like, people say there's a curse about the movie The Omen because they were making a satanic horror movie. And so all the stories that people would remember from the cast and crew of making that movie were all the spooky shit. He was like, if we were making a comedy, people would remember the funny stories. If we were making a romantic comedy, people would remember to tell all the stories where at the after party, who snuck off with who and who ended up hooking up with who. That's what he said in the interview. He doesn't, he, the, that guy does not believe in this curse at all. He, I mean, watching all the interviews he did on this kind of shit, like, and he was involved in some of the actual, like, close calls, and he was like, well, that's just, you know, this kind of shit happens. 
he has he doesn't believe in it at all. And actually, he was one of the guys who was like, "Hey, we can we can use this to our advantage. Let's champion. Let's get all the newspapers to run these stories as we're making this movie." Because the movie came out in '76 when like the Satanic. Oh no, what is happening? Like the, it was after The Exorcist. And the country was still religious, but this is why satanic movies were making bank back then. The same way that like right before the year 2000, all those disaster movies hit because everybody wanted to see disaster shit. Well, after the Vietnam War and Watergate, the whole country was kind of cynical, so they didn't trust the government. And that's part of the... I mean, The Omen kind of takes place in, like a government family, how the plot happens, like people don't trust the government kind of thing. And people were just more pessimistic about life in general after the Vietnam War and... Watergate, they kind of wanted to say, but they were still religious. Exodus came out. Holy shit, that made a lot of money. People were like, let's do the omen. So let's run through the plot real quick, and then we'll get to all the wild shit that happened behind closed doors. And you tell me if it's cursed. This one, there's enough. I'm, something something weird happened. There's enough. It was all Final Destination death. Something was going on, or it was like incredible luck. One of the two. All right. Plot of the omen. Just run right through it, okay? Main guy in the omen is an actor named Gregory Peck. That's how I'm going to refer to him the whole time. He is, he becomes the U.S. ambassador to Great Britain at the beginning of the movie. We'll get there. He has like a high level government job. He's living a pretty great life, right? So the movie opens up. Gregory Peck is in a hospital in Italy. His wife was there. She's having a baby that night. She gave birth to a baby boy in this Italian hospital. Now, after this happens, they take Gregory Peck and his wife's actual baby boy out of the birth room where she gave birth and he goes away. And then a priest, like a creepy basement priest, doctor, whatever, comes up to Gregory Peck and he's like, yo, come with me. Takes Gregory Peck down to the basement, I guess, of this hospital. He's like with a nun. The nun's holding some other baby that's not his baby. And the basement priest, doctor, whatever, looks up to Gregory Peck and he's like, yo, what's up? So your kid died. Your, your son, fucking dead. Unfortunately, we couldn't save him. However, we got this other kid. Look at this thing. The nun's holding it down here. This thing was also born tonight. Mom died, you know? Me, creepy basement priest, I'm looking to make a connection here. You had a kid, don't have him anymore. This had a fat, doesn't have, let's just, you just take this one. Just take this baby in this basement and don't ever say anything to anybody about this. This totally isn't a fucking satanic setup or anything. Just take this kid in this creepy Italian basement. Go back upstairs and lie to your wife. Nobody has to know about this. This nun, she doesn't even speak English. Don't even worry about it. Nope, we're not going to tell anybody. Go ahead, here's your new baby boy. Call him whatever you want. That's how this movie opens. Gregory Peck takes this orphan that's explained to him is not his kid and just goes up into like his wife's hospital room and he's like, so here's our son. <laughs> like immediately just like, fuck it, I'll lie to my wife. This, this works. What could be, this is fine. Let's go. So happy family. They leave the Italian hospital. They move to Great Britain. This is when Gregory Peck gets the ambassador job. He gets fucking, he gets a Charles Ponzi mansion in the middle of Great Britain. This thing is awesome looking. It's in London. There's grounds like you'd imagine. It kind of looks like the Queen's Palace. I don't know where U.S. ambassadors like stay at, but this house was awesome. So Gregory Peck moves in with his wife and this son, you know, and the wife thinks that it's their son. Gregory Peck's quietly like, don't fucking, I hope that basement priest died because he was the only one who knew this one. Not fucking good. It's fine. Let's go. Hey, having a nice time. So for the first five years, they have a nice Family time. They're just like young family, new marriage. There's like a scene where like the wife is like, oh, let's uh, fuck down in this like study area. It's like nice new marriage. Kind of like the Mothman prophecies. New couple, new house, having a nice time. Kids growing up, it's fine. So five years go by. 
Gregory Peck is now the U.S. ambassador to Great Britain. He's balling out. Also, he used to go to college. He was college roommates with the current president in this alternate reality of the Omen. So the current sitting president of the United States of America is Gregory Peck in this movie's ex-roommate. So, like, they're boys. He's got, like, a high-level political career. There's jokes about, like, he, like, tells his wife, like, you're too sexy for the White House. And, like, new marry banter type stuff. Or anyway, all right. Five years later, Antichrist is five years old. Nobody knows the Antichrist yet. Gregory Peck's like, this is working out fine, right? So five-year-old birthday party. Now at this party, everybody's having a good time. Things are going all right. However, this Rottweiler dog shows up. It's fucking huge. Nobody knows whose dog this is. So the nanny is holding Damien, the five-year-old, that nobody knows isn't anybody's, but everybody thinks it's just their kid right now. So this nanny is holding this Antichrist. And then the mom is like, I don't like that. So the mom goes and takes the kid off the nanny. And the mom's like, I'll hold him for a little bit. Thanks. Then the nanny's like, all right, whatever. So then the nanny walks away and makes eye contact with his Rottweiler dog. And then creepy 70s horror music plays like, and then you don't know what the fuck happens. Party keeps going on. Kids on the merry-go-round. All of a sudden, that nanny who made hard eyes at that Rottweiler is up on top of that roof. And she's screaming like, Damien! Damien! So all the little kids are like, what the fuck's going on? Everybody at the party is looking up at this crazy lady on top of the roof right now. And she's like, Damien, it's all for you, Damien. And then she does like a swan dive off the roof. She's got a noose around her neck. She hangs herself off the roof in front of everybody at the party. Party's ruined. Everybody's shocked. People are like, oh my God. You know, women looking away. Everybody looking away. Can't believe it. There's this one photographer there named Keith who becomes a main character later on. He's there taking pictures. And he's like, this is the craziest rich people shit I've ever seen in my fucking life. Because it is like a rich kid party. There's like a pony. There's like a fake, uh, there's like a, a merry-go-round they showed up. It was the ultimate bouncy castle house. This is a cool five-year-old birthday party. This Natalie totally fucking ruined with suicide. Anyway, so that happens. Family's kind of wigged out. Gregory Peck in the back of his mind's like, that's kind of weird. I hope nobody finds out this isn't my son. This guy's not the Antichrist or anything. It's totally going fine. We're fine. So, new nanny shows up. Old nanny killed herself. New nanny shows up. And as soon as this lady gets on screen, dude, she's got like a thin lizard face. You can tell this lady's like, this is an evil looking face. This is a great cat. Like this lady on site was like, this is fucking evil. It so much so that I looked up like a young picture of this actress and she was super cute. But I don't know. It's still the same facial structure, but like the way they dressed it up in the movie, yeah, straight lizard evil lady, right? So this lizard, lizard lady shows up and she's like, what's up? I'm your new nanny. And so Gregory Peck and the wife are like, all right, great. She's like, let me see your son. They're like, all right, well, he's upstairs. Go ahead. And then when the nanny leaves, Gregory Peck and his wife are like, where'd you find her? And they're, like, they're both like, I didn't fucking find her. Who's that goddamn lady? So they go upstairs and they're like, yeah, what, what are you doing here? You're dressed like a, like a nanny, but like, how, what are you doing? So the nanny's like, oh, the agency sent me because the, the last one we heard that she killed herself by jumping off your roof. So... Here's the thing. They just sent me as like on my bad. So you can totally call them if you want, but you don't have to hear my references. She gives them like a thing of references and uh, Gregory Peck's like, oh, that's great. But the wife's like, yeah, I'll check and call. I don't think the wife ever checks on that. Totally bullshit story. Turns out Miss Blaylock, the new nanny that was apparently sent by the agency, goes into Damien's room after she does that fucking song and dance to be like, oh, the agency sent me. Goes into Damien's room. First thing she says is like, I'm here to protect you, little one. This is when we find out that this is a satanic helper. So like, I think she called like a, what's that? Emissary of hell or something? I don't know. This other guy... Bukin something calls her like an emissary of hell later on. Anyway, so the new nanny's fucking evil. She's like a guardian of the Antichrist. Gregory Peck's just trying to hold his job down. His wife's trying to figure things out, all right? So, fine, new nanny, whatever. Time for the family to go to a wedding. 
So Gregory Peck and the wife are like, where's the son at? Damien, we got to go to a wedding. Let's go. And he's and the wife is like, yo, nanny, get my kid down here. And the nanny's like, kind of give some lip here. And it's like, uh, he doesn't need to go to a wedding. He's not going to understand a wedding. And this one, the, the wife is like, okay, get my son down here in five minutes. Thanks. Which I, I, freaking, I really like that part. Because it's like, yo, what are you... All right, Antichrist helper. What do you do? This is a this is a poor strategy if you're trying to like fly under the radar and keep this kid like a viable Satan for the future. You're just causing problems. So, I mean, but I guess she did it so that the young Antichrist didn't have to go to a church for the wedding, which is what happens now. So Damien gets in the car with Gregory Peck and the wife. They go to the they're going to the wedding, and as soon as they get inside of this church. Little Antichrist Damien boy starts wigging out, dude. He's fucking punching people. He's fighting like a girl at a bar at a college, just pulling hair, fucking scratching people and shit. He's going crazy, right? And also, fun side trivia here. This is the scene that the casting director made the child actor who played Damien do to prove that he could get the role. Because the casting director, because the, the actual boy who plays the little Antichrist Damien, he's not, he's, a, he's got like blonde hair. He doesn't look like that in real life. Actually, right now, like, this is, like, the only movie role that kid ever did. He just, like, quit acting, and now he's, like, a regular dude who, like, works in IT or something. Oh, that was interesting. But back in the day when he was getting cast, he was, like, a little blonde, kind of an asshole little kid. And the casting director didn't believe he could do the job. So he put the child actor who would become Damien in a car with him and was like, all right, act like you're the Antichrist, and I'm going to take you to a church, and you're more scared than anything else in the world, and you're going to act out violently. And the little child actor started fucking hammer fisting that guy's balls, just fucking drilling his nuts. I heard in two different interviews, they were talking about how that happened and how that kid got cast. Apparently, the kid just immediately started chuckling down on that guy's sack. And then the guy was like, all right, this is our Antichrist. All right. Anyway, so that's how that scene happens. They turn around. The family's embarrassed. They go back to the house. All right, so after the wedding freak out, the family's like, this kid is kind of going nuts here. This kid's got behavioral issues. Maybe we should, we should do something with this. Gregory Peck's like, can just nobody ask who, what happened in Italy? Just, let's just fly under the radar here. I feel like I'm going to get caught for lying to my wife for the last five years. So after the wedding, family goes to a zoo park. But Gregory Peck's not there. He's got to work, dude. He's got to go to the UN and stuff. He's doing his job. Wife... Damien Antichrist go to a drive-thru zoo, they go to a baboon exhibit, and the baboons, they, the baboons smell Antichrist, dude. The Rafikis smell Antichrist, and they swarm the car, they attack the shit out of the car, everybody's terrified, Damien's scared, the mom's like, what the fuck is going on here? Also, a fun piece of movie trivia here, the, re, the way they, that the stunt guy got the baboons to attack the car is that they put, a, they just stole a baby baboon from that tribe of baboons that was in that zoo. It was just like one big you know, a group of baboons hanging out. And so to get the stuntman was like, I know how I'll get them pissed at the car, stole one of their babies and then just put it in the bottom of the wheel. Well, of the car of like the, of like where the passenger side feet in the front go, just put the little baby baboon down there. The thing started crying and pissing his pants and stuff. And they just had a cameraman, the actress and the, the Damien antichrist actor in there. And then they were just like, all right, we'll shoot whatever you got from point of view. So those shots in the movie of the baboons jumping at the car and trying to break in, that was a real baboon attack. Like, that actress was fucking terrified, which kind of counts, like, towards the curse. People say that, like, there may have been demonic forces, but that one I kind of feel like is just a risky stuntman taking a chance there and being like, I hope these baboons can't really break in because they will kill these people. But I thought that was interesting. So if you ever do end up watching The Omen, yeah, that is a real baboon attack. Those baboons were real pissed trying to save one of their own, dude. They were on, like, a mission. So, freak out in the movie. Wife and Antichrist have to go home. They're like, I'm never going to the zoo again. That was so scared, right? So, 
Gregory Peck in his government office, he actually has to do his job sometimes. So he's in his high-level government office in, in London taking meetings. This priest comes in. And he, this priest does a poor job of explaining the situation. Because the priest comes in. He didn't have an appointment. So he gets in there. And Gregory Peck is like a statesman. So he's like, what can I do for you, Father? And the priest is just like deadpan and like, you must accept Christ into your heart. Like, really, he started off pretty heavy if he's actually trying to convey some information to Gregory Peck here. I mean, I don't really blame Gregory Peck for being like, Father, I'm going to call security. You're kind of freaking me out. Because the guy, he didn't really get to his point till the very end when he's like, uh, your son was, uh, real mom was a jackal. And then all of a sudden security take him out. And it's like, well, you should have led, you should have been nicer. You know, he didn't really do a great job of getting to his point. Gregory, Pe and he all, I mean, the, the priest also said, you got to go see this dude in Israel named like Buchan, Buchan Graves or something. He's like a high level exorcist. He was like, you got to go see this dude, Buchan Graves. Also, your son is a daughter, uh, the son of a jackal. And then the fucking security went and got him. Those are the only two points he got out. Cause everything else was like, you got to take the body and the blood and eat his flesh. And like, he wouldn't break character. So Gregory Peck was like, this is a fucking crazy guy I got in here. I'm trying to listen to him, but I got to call security. But anyway, so that kind of freaks Gregory Peck out because he's like, fuck, that priest knew that that kid isn't actually my wife's kid. I don't know how many other people know about this. This is a bad sign. All right. And the priest also says, yo, or that same priest later on finds Gregory Peck. And he's like, hey, real quick, uh... Your wife's going to get pregnant again, and that little Antichrist kid is not going to let her have a baby. He's going to, like, hurt her, and then she's going to have a miscarriage. Just a heads up, okay? I'm just giving you, just letting you know what's going on here. Just trying to tell you what's going on. And then after the priest meets with Gregory Peck a second time, that priest, like, leaves the church that they met at, and then he's out in, like, I don't know, graveyard-type area where you're going to get Final Destination murdered in this movie. So he's out there, and then the storm kicks up, and he's, like, trying to hold his hat on like an old-timey man who's, like, a little bluster, like, oh, no, Jesus, and the music's going. All of a sudden, lightning strikes the top of the church. The lightning rod, or, like, I don't know, the top part of the church breaks off, comes down, harpoons that priest in place. Vlad the Impaler's him. It's a really famous movie death. Also... Fun side trivia here. If you ever seen that movie death where this, the, the dude gets harpooned, how they actually did that, because there's no CGI back then. You couldn't do that, and you couldn't risk throwing a metal javelin down right behind an actor because you might hit him. So a low-tech fix they, got, they found out for how to do this stunt, they ran fishing wire from the top of that church to right back behind where the actor who was playing the priest was, like, dead standing. And then they just, they, uh, I think they, they shot it in reverse and then played it in reverse and it looked like the guy got fucking stabbed. Or they, or they just ran it and the guy acted like he got stabbed. I'm not sure if they played it in reverse because I know they did that in Braveheart, but that was, that's a way different scene. That's with like the horses and the arrows. They like shot it in reverse or something. That totally has nothing to do with the omen. But fishing line, hollow pipe, impales a priest. Priest who knew some shit's dead. Gregory Peck's like, blessing and a curse, I feel like. I'm glad that guy's not telling people that my kid's not my kid, but kind of sucks he's dead now by now that dude keith the photographer who's been following gregory peck around and saw a nanny hang himself or hang herself he comes up to gregory peck and he's like yo dude i've been taking pictures of everybody i take pictures all the time it's not weird it's my job i've been following you've probably seen me i've taken pictures of everybody who's died when they were alive there's some weird shit when i develop them look at this picture of that dead nanny who hung herself not the creepy one you have now the one that was like okay until she went out and hung herself Look at this picture. And there's like an invisible rope around her neck that shows how she was going to die. And then he shows him the picture of the priest who just got Vlad the Impaled in that graveyard by lightning. Same kind of thing where there's like a faded black impaler line behind him. And then he shows him a picture of himself 
Keith, the photographer, is like, I took this one on myself. You know, I thought I looked cool. <laughs> and then he shows him it. And there's a line, like, Keith's going to get his head cut off. And he's like, I don't know what's going on here, but we got to sort this out because it feels like I'm going to die in some sort of terrible way. I just need, is your kid the Antichrist? Because we should probably work on that. Gregory Peck's like, all right, I'll let you in on it. I am dealing with some kind of thing here. Now, while Keith and Gregory Peck are trying to sort out how the fuck they're going to deal with this situation, the wife is at home with Damien, and she's trying. She's up on a stool on the second level by the stairs trying to put a fishbowl up somewhere. This is a classic 1975 activity, it looks like, because you stool, fishbowl, big thing going, and then Damien on a Fisher-Price big wheel is like hauling ass around there. All of a sudden, he runs into the stool. Mom's like, oh, fuck, drop the fishbowl. She goes over the balcony down to the first floor, is hospitalized, breaks her breaks her arm, and it does cause a miscarriage, just like that creepy priest said in Gregory Peck's office. So now Gregory Peck hears about this. The wife's in the hospital. Keith's showing him these pictures of, like, th- these deaths are coming. This is the final destination shit. We got to do something about this. So Gregory Peck's like, all right, Keith, we got to go see that guy, Buchenheimser, or whatever that whatever the priest who got impaled, that guy that we got to go see. We got to go see that fucking guy now. So... They plan to go see that guy, but also on the way to do that, they're going to go back to the hospital in Italy and be like, yo, where is this thing's real mom? Because I got to find out where this kid came from. What's going on? So they go back to the Italian hospital, Keith and Gregory Peck. Now, his wife is laid up in the hospital in London. So Keith and Gregory Peck go back to the original hospital in Italy where that basement priest gave him the kid and was like, this is totally cool. Don't worry about it. And they're like, hey. Can we see some birth records from five years ago? We just got some questions about my kid. I don't really want to talk about it. Where's your records room at? And the lady's like, oh, actually, right after you left five years ago, the whole place burned down. It, the fire started in the records room. The whole the nursery burned up. We lost all our records. Sorry about that. Gary Pack's like, God damn it, dude. All right, well, is anybody still around who was living back then? And she was like, yeah, actually, this one priest is not dead. He got burned up real bit. He's all fucked up. But he lives up in this monastery a while away. If you want to go see him. Also, he's got one eye and he can't speak, but he kind of has some use of his left hand if you want to ask him like basic questions. So Gregory Peck's like, Jesus, fucking Christ. All right, Keith, we got to go see this guy. So Gregory Peck and Keith go see this, this former basement creepy priest who is now all fucked up at a monastery. And they're like, yo, what is going on here? So the, this is like a longer scene. It's kind of like it's supposed to be dramatic, but I was watching it just felt kind of long. So eventually the creepy priest just writes down the name of this old cemetery. And he's like, you got to go here to see this. See, your kid's real mom is at this cemetery. You got to dig up this gravestone. Gregory Peck and Keith are like, thanks, dude. Hope you get better, but it's not looking great. I'll see you, buddy. They leave all fucked up basement priests. You'll never see that guy again. Gregory Peck and Keith go to this graveyard. They dig up the grave. And in the grave where a mom skeleton is supposed to be is skeleton of a jackal. Damien is the son of a jackal. He's an antichrist. And they actually dig up the, the grave next to him. And it's like a little boy's bones. And so you're supposed to put together in the movie that like, oh, that's the, that's Gregory Peck's real son that the Satanist killed and put in the grave next to the Antichrist's actual mom, that jackal. And so now it's just like a doubly sad scene. So anyway, so Gregory Peck and Keith are in there. Gregory Peck's like, what the fuck is going on? All of a sudden, pack of Rottweilers show up. They got to get the fuck out of there. Rottweilers are trying to attack them. They scoot out of there. They escape. At this point in time, Gregory Peck's like, all right. We got to go see that guy. What the fuck was the name of that guy? So Gregory Peck and Keith go to see this like biblical scholar slash high level exorcist named Buchenhagen. Now they go see this dude and Buchenhagen's like, what's up? Good to see you. Is that priest I sent 
dead yet? That guy's dead, right? And Gregory Peck's like, yeah, how'd you know that? And Bugenhagen's like, yeah, it was going to happen. So Gregory Peck's like, all right, so my kid's the Antichrist or something? What do I do here? And Bugenhagen's like, glad you're here. Here's 11 knives. You got to stab your kid a bunch, okay? Now you got to do it in the cathedral. Here's the thing you're doing here. If you act now, you can have all these knives right now just for you, but you do have to stab your own kid. Sorry, he's not even your kid. He's the Antichrist, okay? And Gregory Peck's like, I can't fucking stab a little kid, dude. This is too much. How many knives is this? This is like fucking 10 knives. That's a lot, dude. Bugenhagen is like, all right, well, here's the thing. You got to do it. You got to do it. And here's... And, the kid has the Mark 666 somewhere on his body. This will prove to you it's not a kid. It's the Antichrist. It's not a real human. And so Gregory Peck's like, I, I, I gave this kid bass when he was young. He doesn't have a mark on him. And Bugenhagen's like, you got to shave that kid's head. I'm telling you, it's on his scalp. You got to check it out. Gregory Peck's like, all right, we'll agree to disagree on this, but I am going to take the knives. Nice to meet you. I'll see you. Gregory Peck walks out with this set of knives and Keith and Keith's like, dude, what did he say? Because Gregory Peck made Keith leave when they were meeting together. Gregory Peck was like, can I have some fucking privacy? And Keith's like, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll fucking walk around this town. There's not, what am I going to get co- fucking coffee? So anyway, after the meeting, Gregory Peck's like, all right, so I got these knives. And Keith's like, what are you supposed to do with them? He's like, I'm supposed to stab the shit out of my kid. And Keith's like, all right, let's do it, man. That sounds good. And Gregory Peck's like, shut up, Keith. He gets all mad and then he throws the knives. He's like, I'm not going to fucking stab a little boy. Gregory Peck throws the knives in a construction site that's close you know, it's just an open construction site. It's about noon, right? So Keith's like, all right, man, well, don't be a fucking idiot. Look, I'll just go get the knives. We'll bring them back just in case you change your mind, okay? So Keith goes and gets these knives from the construction site. And as he's taking these knives out, somebody went to lunch early. They parked the truck with a bunch of glass on it up a hill. And they didn't put the e-brake on correctly. E-brake snaps off while Keith's gathering up these knives from the construction site. Truck comes rumbling down the hill, hits something right in front of Keith, just in time for Keith to look up and see this truck hit something, and then a flatbed of glass comes sliding off the back of that truck and cuts Keith's fucking head off, just like in the picture. Because in the picture Keith took of himself, his head was like, there was something cutting his head off. He didn't know if it was a rope or if he just gets his head cut off. Turns out, huge sheet of glass cuts your head off in the Middle East, Keith. You're trying to collect knives for Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck sees the whole thing, and he's like, God damn, that was like my last friend, dude. My wife's in the hospital. This guy died. My kid's the Antichrist. I got to go get those knives now before they, like, close the place off, because I'm definitely probably going to use them now. So he's all torn up. So he calls his wife, and he's like, babe, she's in the hospital. She's all fucked up. She's in, like, a body cast. And he's like, some things are happening over here. You're not safe in London. You got to leave the hospital, Okay. So she's like, so she has to do the thing like, what's going on? He just has to do that like, you got to leave London. She's like, all right, that's fine. So she hangs up the phone in the hospital. And then she's, but she's fucked up. She has like her arm in a cast. She can't like get dressed. She doesn't call a nurse or anything. So she's, you know, I'm trying to get dressed. And then you see behind her, that new, that new lizard face nanny's in there. She, she comes up on it, throws the lady out of the hospital, kills the wife, throws her out of the hospital. She lands in an ambulance. Ambulance door opens up. She's a splayed out. She's fucking dead. Miss Blaylock, the new nanny, dude, evil lizard face, protecting Damien. And and, then Gregory Peck gets called and told about his wife. And that, you know, that didn't make him feel better. He's got to fly home anyway. Now his his wife's not even there. Now his wife's dead too. All right. So now finally Peck's at home with these bunch of knives that he's got to stab in this kid that might be the Antichrist, but he's still kind of conflicted about it. So he sneaks into his own house because he knows Miss Blaylock's no good. I can't be talking to her. I don't trust her at all. I feel like she's evil. And that guy, Buchanan, whatever the guy with the knives, he said that she's an emissary of hell. So you really can't, you don't want to see her, right? So Gregory Peck sneaks into his awesome house late at night alone, goes up to Damien's room. Lights are out. 
He goes up, he gets a pair of scissors, and he cuts Damien's hair just a little bit on the top of the scalp where, like, when you start to go bald, that's the first place you lose your hair. Don't act like you don't know where the fuck that is. So he cuts that part of his hair, and then he puts a light on it, and then he sees 666 in that little kid's head. Camera pans up. You see Gregory Peck's eyes looking off into the distance. And then from over Gregory Peck's shoulder, Miss Baylock shows up, lizard face herself, starts trying to fuck him up. Starts trying to scratch him, bite him. Again, fighting like a girl at a college bar. Just go, but she's small and she's old. And Gregory Peck is, I mean, Gregory Peck's not young, but he's like 50 and he's like, ah, like six foot, 200 pounds. So she's on him, trying to make a move here, trying to wrestle him down. He eventually is like, get the fuck off me. So her final move, and this made me laugh in the movie, Miss Blaylock's final move is that she does like the thing that like a kid having a tantrum in a Toys R Us does, where like hangs on to his leg, just like wraps like a small koala onto his leg and she's fucking screaming trying to bite him and Gregory Peck just swings his leg in one big like robot leg swing into a big piece of like French ball and claw furniture and knocks her out so he just like knocks her out by swinging his leg as she was doing the little kid in JCPenney's tantrum move Miss Blaylock's out cold that's it all right I got some things to take care of so she's out he grabs Damien he's like all right we got to go to the church I don't know if I can stab you or not but I at least got to go try so he grabs his kid. All of a sudden, Miss Blaylock's not dead. She just got knocked out. She comes at him again downstairs. Gregory Peck's like, I've had enough of your shit. Stabs her in the fucking neck and kills her. All right. He's like, me and my kid got to go to a cathedral. I might have to stab him a bunch of times. Miss Blaylock's dead. He gets in his car. He speeds out of his own driveway right past a cop. Which when this happened, it made me, th- I forget who, who I heard say this, but like, you never break the law when you're breaking the law. So it's like, if you're going to drive to a cathedral to stab the Antichrist 11 times with knives that you got from the Middle East by some ancient exorcist, don't speed on your way to the cathedral. That's how I understand that. I forget who told me that, but somebody's like, you never break the law while, you bre- while you're breaking the law because then you're doing it two different ways and one way will get you caught the other way. That's what I thought about when this guy, when he was going, he's trying to go do, you know, and cops are like, this guy's fucking speeding. It's like, oh, he's doing a lot more than speeding, buddy, right? So, Cary, or not Cary Grant, they get to the cathedral, they put him on the altar, the Antichrist kid is screaming up, looking at Gregory Peck, and he's like, Daddy, no, and Gregory Peck's like, God damn it, and he's about to stab his kid, and then the cops bust in the cathedral, and then the last thing you see is a gunshot, and then it cuts to black, and you don't know who the police shot or what happened. Then, fade into a a funeral procession, and it's like a military funeral, so it implies that Gregory Peck died because he would get a military funeral, got shot by the police, and there's two coffins, so you assume that Damien's in the other coffin because he died too. And the camera pans down and holding what's implied to be the president of the United States' hand, because remember that he was Gregory Peck's roommate, is a little boy who turns to the camera and it's revealed to be the Antichrist Damien because the two caskets are for Gregory Peck and his wife. Damien has survived and been adopted by the President of the United States of America, which leaves a ton of room for the sequel. And that's basically the omen. Fuck, that took a half hour. I tried to do that in 10 minutes, but I like the movie. All right, anyway, so that's the plot of the omen, right? Fuck it, let's get to the actual curse. Now, the first person to express concern regarding like, yo, if we make this movie, some bad shit might happen, is the guy who initially came up with the whole idea. It was a born-again Christian named Robert Munger. He was the first one to talk about this. He actually called a meeting of like the executive producer and the production staff or whatever, they all got together right before they were going to start filming. 
And they were like, all right, what do you want to talk about? And he's like, real quick, I'm just saying some bad things are probably going to happen if we film this movie. I mean, it's, he called that meeting, but I can only imagine if you're like, like, I know for a fact the director didn't believe in any of this shit. And he was like, yeah, dude, that's enough. We're going to make so much fucking money. We got Gregory Peck in a Satan movie in 1976. We're going to be rolling. We'll be fine. I appreciate your concern, but we're already ready to go. Let's go fly over, dude. But that was the first person to express concern regarding there's going to be some supernatural shit that happens here. Kind of like a harbinger of the curse, if you will. Now, first death and probably the saddest death that happened in regards to the curse of the omen while filming. Three months before filming actual st- like started in London, Gregory Peck's real life son committed suicide. So, and this, it's a very sad fact, but if you watch the omen and the, the omen that Gregory Peck stars in is a movie about a dad who has to somehow find a way to stab his son, to kill his own son, man, that must've been kind of hard. I don't have any idea how difficult that would be, but it was probably really difficult. And although it's really sad to find out that his kid did commit suicide, it did make me respect Ray Peck even more in this movie because I was like, fuck, man, there had to be all sorts of psychological stuff going on. But it's said that, like, he talked to his agent, and his agent was like, I don't know, man, if you want to do the project, do it so that you just don't completely spiral and you have something to work on. So, But tough subject matter in conjunction with that. But technically, that's the first person taken by the Curse of the Omen, which is Gregory Peck's son. That was even before filming, but as I understand it, Peck had already read the script, so it counts. Now, cast and crew going over the Atlantic. We still haven't even started filming yet. Gregory Peck's transatlantic flight on the way to film in London. Plane engines catches fire because the flight gets struck by lightning. So Gregory Peck almost gets final destination because a lightning strike takes out his plane engine. Doesn't happen. Lands safely, but that counts as part of the curse. Also, two days after the Peck flew over, writer David Seltzer also took a separate flight other than the other cast and crew from to London, and that flight also got struck by lightning. So that's two separate lightning strikes. Also, there's an alleged third that is not confirmed. So we're going to go for two for the purpose of the, of the curse to count officially, but you could count it three, but nobody knows if that third one actually happened or not. So, odds on your plane getting struck by lightning. And I tried to look into this. So pilots apparently experience a lightning strike once every 3,000 hours of flying, which turns out to be like about once a year. Now, I did the math as New York to London, but Gregory Peck's flight was LA to London, but I don't know where the other guy's flight was. So anyway, New York to London is seven hours. So you do 3,000 divided by seven. So the odds of getting hit by lightning if you're on one of those flights, about one out of 428.57 or... One out of 429. So at least two different planes got hit by lightning. Two days apart. Odds about one out of... I mean, if you do it... If you do LA to London, it's 10 hours. We're looking at about one out of 300 getting hit two days apart from each other. Which is very low statistic probability. But it happens. Planes do get struck by lightning. But those two lightning strikes and possibly three count towards the curse. Already kind of hard to do that. Lightning hit an airplane sidebar here. Airplanes are made out of aluminum. If you remember, we did electricity, so they are very conductive, and a thunderstorm is nature's mosh pit, so there's a ton of negative charge looking to flow into anything that's positive and trying to balance itself out. So airplanes get struck by lightning a shitload because they kind of attract lightning because all that negative energy is looking to go into something that's positive or neutral and then travel down to the ground. 
Also, uh, don't get, don't freak out if you got to fly or anything. Like I freak out if I have to fly no matter what. But as far as lightning goes, they have these things called lightning wicks on planes now. Totally protect the plane. Like it may like leave a singe mark, but planes are com- are designed to be hit by lightning a shitload these days. It's really safe. But again, if you're scared of lightning on a plane, I don't blame. Like last time I, last time I flew on a plane, I, I went to like New Orleans. I, I uh, the girl I was with gave me Kalana pink, so I was freaking out just from like having to take off. So. I don't blame you if you're scared on flights. I'm not great. I don't fly a, a, a ton, but like at the times I do, I do get scared. But I shouldn't be scared of lightning because there's something called a lightning wick. It doesn't matter. And then a sidebar, a piece of jargon. If you ever heard the term bolt from the blue, like something came out like a bolt from the blue. That's like an aviation term because sometimes airplanes will get hit by lightning. That's like 50 miles away. It, like... And the term means the airplane is flying through blue skies and then a bolt from the blue came out and struck the plane because lightning can travel up to 50 miles and still hit a plane because planes attract lightning strikes. So just heads up electricity. Don't be scared of lightning on planes, but they do get hit a shitload. All right. Everybody's over in Atlantic and over the Atlantic Ocean. We're in London. Had some bad luck with lightning. Let's get to filming. All right. First off, the first filming they were going to do is aerial shots of, like, London landscape. They're, like, London, I forget what you, I don't know the term for this, but, like, those aerial shots, like, at the beginning of The Shining, where it's just kind of land, and you're flying over it, and you're looking down. So, the director, cameraman, producer, everybody, they rent a plane to get those kind of shots just for the beginning of filming. So, they schedule the plane. Now, they have a small budget, so they kind of got a deal on it. The day before that they were supposed to go up and get these shots, the company that rented them the plane was like, yo, real quick, can you guys go not tomorrow, but the next day, can we bump you one day? Cause we got these Chinese businessmen who are willing to pay a a crazy rate for this plane. And we're trying to make money. And if you let us bump you a day, we can just, we'll just cut your rate in half. You could save so much money. Is that all right? You guys can wait a day. So the crew of the own, we're like, fuck yeah, let's save some money. Take those Chinese businessmen up. I don't give a shit. So on the day that the own was supposed to go up and do those shots, those Chinese businessmen show up and they get on this airplane that plane takes off, all of a sudden, flock of geese get sucked into one of that plane's engines, engine blows up full of goose body, whole plane full of Chinese businessmen crashes into a station wagon and kills a lady. And that was that was supposed to be the, the crew from the Omen was supposed to be on that plane. But instead, it was, uh, it was that lady in the station wagon and five businessmen and the pilot. So to actually count what happened, and people are like, this is, like... They were supposed to be a thing on the airplane that protects it from goose getting sucked in. That was disabled. It's just a freak accident, but they don't say how many Chinese businessmen were on the plane either. I looked for it. They just said a group of Chinese businessmen rented it. So if you're going to tally up what this counts for towards the curse, I put it at four Chinese businessmen because I don't know how many. I'm guessing the plane held like eight to 12 was a small plane. So I felt like three was too little and five's ambitious. So we're going with four plus a pilot puts it at five people plus a lady in the station wagon puts it at six. And this is where you get that handful of geese. Depends on how many geese you think got sucked into that plane. I put it at about 20 because they said it was a flock of geese that flew. They said they flew right for the plane as soon as the thing took off. So, I mean, that all, I mean, that, and that's definitely a final destination death for a bunch of people towards the curse. So. All right, remember that baboon scene? Now, I already told you that they put a baby baboon scene in that zoo and made a real baboon attack. Now, people call that part of the curse. But also, they shot a bunch of scenes dealing with tigers and big cats at that same zoo that never made it to the actual film. Now, 
the day that they finished and they wrapped shooting in the Tiger area, the zookeeper that they were working with the whole time, he, the cast and crew of the Omen leaves, Gregory Peck leaves, zookeeper's like, man, we had a great time hanging out in these tiger cages. So he pops his head up from like a little tiger nook where he normally hangs out, and he didn't see that one of the tigers was on top behind him, and that tiger crane-gamed his head with his tiger mouth, dude. Zookeeper dead via tiger attributed to the curse of the omen the same day that the cast and crew left that zookeeper got crane game by the tiger and that counts too so that's another one that's the one zookeeper on the uh on the list here so by now the cast and crew were kind of fucking freaked out by it but the director's like all right just don't talk about it anymore the director's actually like you really need to stop talking about it because you're making it worse the fear is feeding into people interpreting this stuff as weird shit and it's really getting in the way of production but i mean how can you not that's a lot of weird shit that already happened. The lightning strikes, the Chinese businessmen, that zookeeper just died, and everybody probably knew that guy. So, they're filming in London now. Everybody's selling in. The executive producer, Mace Newfeld, takes his wife on a nice walk around London. Babe, let's just go out. Let's see the town. Now, minutes after the executive producer and his wife leave the lobby of the London Hilton, the lobby explodes. Because this was 1976, and the IRA were really active bombing London that year. And the executive producer and his wife leave a lobby, and they said they were close enough to both hear and feel the blast. That's how close they were to a lobby getting bombed by the IRA. Now, this is also where, I don't know if you want to count these two, there was two people killed in the hotel bombing. I don't know if they count towards the curse or not. That's why, the, that's why it's either eight or ten. But this was an IRA bombing that almost took the executive producer and his wife. So after this happens, Gregory Peck is like, all right, shit is getting crazy out there. Let's everybody, let's wind down. Look, I got this place. I love this restaurant. It's in London. It's called Scott's Oyster Bar. Let me take the director, the producer, all the high-level people associated with this movie. We're all kind of on edge here. Let's go out to Scott's Oyster Bar. Let's tie one on. Let's eat a bunch of seafood. Get fucked up. Have a nice night. There's no devil dealing with this. We're all having a good time in London, right? So people are like, all right, this will be great. This is fine. Greg's paying for it. This will be fun. So they go down to the reservation at Scott's Oyster Bar. And less than an hour before they were supposed to arrive for the reservation, Scott's Oyster Bar is also blown up by the IRA. Two IRA bombings in this curse. And it was within an hour. They were supposed to... And within an hour, they would have been all sitting down eating at Scott's Oyster Bar, having drinks, getting hammered, talking shit. Place got blown up by the IRA. Now, this is the last death associated with the Curse of the Omen, and it's probably the wildest one. So I save it for last here. All right, so the special effects designer, John Richardson. And this is the guy who designed the scene where that photographer Keith gets his head cut off by a slab of glass by a dude who doesn't put the e-brake on correctly in that Middle Eastern construction site trying to pick up those knives you got to stab the Antichrist with, right? So Keith's down there trying to cobble those Lincoln Logs together to give them back to Gregory Peck just in case he changes his mind, you know? Keith gets his head cut off by the glass. Now, the guy who designed that, John Richardson, was working on his next project after The Omen. The Omen's done. It's fucking wrapped. He's got nothing to do with it anymore. So he's driving with his wife in Holland and they are involved in a head-on collision and the own front, his own front tire of his own car blasts through his windshield and decapitates his wife. Just like the stunt he, he designed in the movie The Omen. His wife's decapitated in a traffic accident 
And when John Richardson regained consciousness after that traffic accident, he says the first thing he saw is he looked up at a road sign that had the number 66.6 kilometers on it. And it was how close the nearest town is, was 666. was the first thing he saw when he woke up after that traffic accident where his wife got her head cut off by his own tire. And this also took place, and there was another sign of the same site of the accident that John Richardson saw for a town called, and it was spelled O-M-M-E-N. Omen? Omen? Pretty much the same fucking word. And that is the wildest death associated with the curse of the omen. So to recap here, total numbers for the curse of the omen. You got not a huge body count again, but a lot of creativity in the shit that happened here. I think it was a pretty interesting story. You got four, I put it at four Chinese businessmen. You got one pilot of that plane. You got one station wagon lady. You got a zookeeper via tiger. And you got one decapitation mirroring what happened in the movie of the guy's wife who de- who designed the decapitation scene in that movie. Plus or minus two from the Hilton Lobby IRA bombing. I don't know if you want to count them. And plus or minus 20 geese or so, whatever you want to call However many geese got sucked into that engine. Ladies and gentlemen, that was episode 49 of Oral Presentations, The Curse of the Omen. I don't, that's the, I think that might be the least impressive body count curse we've had. I think the Hope Diamond was real low too. I remember the Hope Diamond story just ended up being that one lady who was kind of sad at the end. Yeah, I think the, the, the Curse of the Hope Diamond is the weakest one. I think technically the, the Curse of the Omen is our second weakest. Nah, the Exorcist was weaker, I think. Exorcist was blowing out people's backs. It wasn't even a big deal. So I think it's Curse of the Hope Diamond, then the Exorcist, and then the Omen might be the third weakest supernatural thing we've caused. But it gets style points all the way, you know? Had a lot of different types of deaths. And I like the story. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. This has been episode 49, Curse of the Omen. Uh, we'll be back. I moved Patreon to Thursday now. So we'll be having Patreon episodes drop on Thursday from now on. Give myself two days in between just to relax a little bit. It's nice. Uh, thank you for listening. And I hope you guys have a nice Monday. All right. I'll talk to you guys later on.